Welcome to the Science of Psychotherapy podcast with your hosts, Richard Hill and Matthew Darlitz. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Science of Psychotherapy podcast. I'm Matthew Darlitz, Editor-in-Chief of the Science of Psychotherapy and with Managing Editor Richard Hill, we welcome you. As thank you, Matt. Fantastic. You gave us a slightly different uh, tone of voice. Uh, here we are again because we've been doing this now for quite a long time. And mm. I, I, I actually quite like the, the the same entry because then I know what I'm doing. I get my head in gear, <laughs> get my head focused. But but then that uh, when you think of the uh, of the neuroscience of uh, state dependent memory learning and behaviour, mm-hmm. as uh, the Ernie Brossi talked a lot about that, and you find it in various other writers. That is exactly what a common entry is all about the show with the theme song uh it it, it brings you back into a frame of mind and into a a neurobiological context which then attunes you to the uh the context of the experience so um uh, it's it's absolutely necessary Okay, fantastic. Well, well, thank you everyone for joining us. I do hope that you're orientated now. Yes. Um, so Richard, uh, we are going to be talking to uh, Terry Marks-Tarlow once again. Uh, she's been a, a regular um, on the podcast and, you know, on the, in the magazine, um, but she's bringing someone else along with her and we're going to talk about a book. Tell us about the book. Absolutely true. It's a fantastic, uh, it's a graphic novel utilizing uh, uh, the the images. And so now we're just talking about images and attuning and context Mm. in dealing with one of the really difficult subjects that we have when when we're we're talking about um, uh, psychotherapeutic uh, needs and therapeutic needs. And that's sexual issues, sexual assault, um, areas of of, uh, early child uh, sexual assault, family uh, issues, all these things. And how do they manage it? How do we manage it? What are the things that can happen? And this book actually gives us a case study, gives us a case, gives us a case study. And we go through this process but it's so it's I've read some books on and read some articles on this type of uh, area of sexual assault, and it's really hard to do. Mm. This makes it possible to go through and manage because you've got this dual experience of words and pictures. And of course, I mean, we've given Terry our um, because she's our good friend, and you say, uh, now who was she working with? So the two authors is yeah, Terry Marks Tarlow. She's a clinical psychologist, author, and artist in Santa Monica, California. And uh, her co-author is Leanne Domash. Uh, she's a psychologist and psychoanalyst. She's a writer, a playwright, and a certified embodied imagination practitioner in New York. So the two of them have been working, you know, via Zoom for uh, quite a while uh, on this book, and uh, and we'll get to hear a little bit about um, their process as well as the content of the book. Yeah, and, and it's so fantastic. Terry's brought us a new friend, which is great. So um, will we go over to New York and talk to these fabulous ladies? Let's do that. Terry and Leanne, thank you so much for joining us here on the Science of Psychotherapy podcast. It's so great to see you both. Thank you so Thank much you. for having us. And great to be here. <laughs> yes, it is Richard. He will all we'll all have to figure out how to take turns. Uh, <laughs> but but we but certainly as we go through the conversation, you know, we'll nominate and you guys could nominate each other as the as to do it. Otherwise, we could just have that very exciting thing where four people are all talking at once. <laughs> that's right. And I think that's an Italian lunch. But <laughs> uh, 
But it, it is great to have you here. And we've we've given a, a few words here, but what we're talking about is, of course, your your absolutely fascinating um new uh adventure into to writing. We we can't we we almost can't just say your new book because you've got about 80. Um <laughs> uh and this wonderful interaction because uh with uh, you know Leanne and Terry doing this thing. And it's a graphic novel, The mm. Eel and the Blowfish. A graphic novel of dreams, trauma, and healing, and um, I think the first thing we 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 need to do is really just let you guys um, introduce us to the to the you know, what brought this about, how how this became uh, a, a good idea, and then how it became acceptable uh, and and, and uh, publishable. I mean, this is this is this is uh, this is wonderful. So uh, we'll leave it to you. Who do you want to start, Leanne, Terry? You 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 can fight over who, who starts. Well, um, uh, Terry and I were supposed to meet a number of years ago when Terry was coming to speak in New York, and that that didn't happen. But I was following Terry's work, and I decided that she and I think so alike, and she writes about things that I'm so interested in that I wrote to her, and I said, we have to meet because we're like soul sisters. So it turns out, um, synchronistically, Terry was going to be in New York very shortly after that because she wrote a libretta for an opera, which maybe she will tell us about. And so I was able to join her. We met for brunch, and then she and I spent the whole day at Lincoln Center while she was watching the dress rehearsal of her opera. And um, I proposed to her, I just had this idea about a graphic novel, which I really didn't know what a graphic novel was, but I just sort of thought it would be something really fun and different to do to present concepts about psychology, especially difficult concepts, in a way that's very accessible to people. And also the humor of the comic images reduces the defensiveness. So I proposed this to Terry because I knew what a good artist she was. And she agreed. And we've been working on Zoom for three years, at least 10 hours a week to wow. produce. So it's, it's it, and Terry can continue. And we went through many different iterations because we really didn't know what we were doing, but it was COVID and we were very happy to spend the time with each other. And uh, so, you know, and we've done a whole presentation on how it cured our depression of COVID working on this novel. So, um, but Terry, did you want to say more? Yeah, that it, it, I've never worked on images before in the presence of somebody else. And it was so much fun, especially at the very beginning, because Leanne was like, Oh my God, it's magic. It looked like <laughs> things could be erased and moved. And, and um, so we hung out together and we kept, um, we kept changing it. We started out with the idea we were going to do a film, a, a, a film format within the book. 
and there was going to be a producer and the characters were going to be watching the film of the story, a little bit like hypnosis, like Eric Ericksonian hypnosis of embedded metaphors and this sort of thing. And then and that turned out not to be the greatest idea. And instead, we went back to um, the story being the story, but we retained some of the film elements like different shots, like overhead looking down or real close-ups of the mouth or of the feet or of different parts of the body. And especially from a somatic point of view, um, it we we really see that um, we can we can show what's happening in the body. So the images, we find um, are a really powerful way to communicate ideas, as well as aesthetic distance on a very difficult topic that we face. And I think this is the important thing. But it, it was a difficult topic that you, you chose, uh, and it's actually uh, almost the sort of topic that is impossible to comfortably just read about. Um, the, the, fundamentally, we, we get a case study um, uh, is expressed in here, as well as the the um, the, the self experience, the the personal experience, uh, and then also the because uh, what we're getting is we get the case study, but we also get the life of the participants outside of the of the case study, and I'm just fascinated hearing you, you saying that the the inspiration for some of the the close ups, the distances, and the various things actually was this blending of if we were making a film like a storyboard for a film. Almost that's that's really interesting. But choosing this particular topic, was that always the topic that you were going to choose, or did you eventually have to whittle that down to a particular framework as well? It's a, it was always the topic, but we mean for the uh book to be used for any type of sexual or physical trauma. We think it's more broadly applicable, but this was always the topic. And ironically, well, I just got an incest patient, patient who suffered from incest and use of sibling incest. And Terry also has a number of them. So it's not as uncommon, even though it's not spoken about, as one would think. It's it's unbelievable. I think I have four patients that have that are that have incest. And what I have uh, the more I go into epigenetics and learn about epigenetics, I think that incest may be um, one of the most epigenetically transmitted conditions of any of them, mm. because every single case, every single incest case has a multi-generational piece to it. It's really unbelievable. It's really interesting. Uh, uh, sorry, Matt, I'm jumping in again. I know, but the... Um, uh, because when we're talking about epigenetics, of course, we're not talking about an epigenetic thing for, uh, uh, you know, sexually abusing your 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 partners, you know, sort of a, a directive in that. But in relation to uh, the, trauma, the, the traumatic, the generational, epigenetically transferred generational trauma, and that this is what we find quite a lot when people say, oh, you you, you do this epigenetic thing and that will, uh, it's directly related to behaviours. But there's a commonality of behaviors that emerge out of out of epigenetic uh, 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 structures mm -hmm. uh, because we're all human beings 
Um, and, and possibly if that epigenetic change was in a different species, there would be a different behaviour that emerges. That's a, 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 just as a, a conjecture. But that is an interesting um aspect uh, you know for example uh, children uh, in generational transference from um uh, people who were uh, starving who, who were a great hunger that they then seek out food and so in our modern society when there is lots of food they tend to be they tend to be obese and you go wow obesity hunger where's the connection but it's behaviors that emerge out of the epigenetic change so just mm-hmm. jump in with that one because it's really interesting so when you're you're looking at at something, you you chose to to start us off right in the in the middle of the 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 the, the um, an expression of the difficulty. Can you? I don't want to sort of um, describe it myself, but can you talk about starting in the dream? Well, I believe in not saving the best for last. I think it should be presented immediately. And we we did have a whole lead up to the dream and we decided to take it out and just give it to the audience. And the dream is prescient of the whole story, so it tells the whole story in a certain way if you know if you know once you come to the end you realize the dream told the whole story. Yeah, and Terry, you you're giving in your drawings hints uh, all over the place that I found myself going back to. I'm going, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you make it clear in, in later drawings, but I went right back to the to the first pages, and I went and I started really looking uh, in, in there. And uh, what were you thinking there as 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 the artist? Tell me what you saw as a hint, and I'll tell you what I was thinking. Well, I th- I think some of those 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 potential phallic. Uh, images they were they were much more subtle in the early drawings um, but if you looked and here's the interesting thing it doesn't even matter if you intentionally drew them there were things that I saw there that went ah yeah so I was taking them in in on a on a, a an implicit way to some degree anyway what, what were your th- what were you thinking as the artist there you know, most of what emerged was absolutely spontaneous and um, often synchronistic. A lot of my drawings, um, my figure drawings have synchronicity in them. I don't know if you you guys probably haven't seen the figure drawings, but but what I used to do is have a live model come to my house and she'd get in different positions or he'd get in different positions and I would draw multiple positions on one page but there would be over they'd be overlapping bodies and the lines would be synchronistic because the same line would work for both draw for both poses but I wouldn't fashion that on purpose it would just happen and of course as you know synchronicity is something that is near and dear to my heart and I've used the fractal epistemology to to model synchronistic synchronicity and it happens to me all the time and the more I've been on synchronicity synchronicity podcast the more it happens of course <laughs> just tends to happen so a lot of what would happen a lot of the best things as Leanne and I were sitting there and working on these things a lot of things would be mistakes or would be 
um, complete spontaneity. Um, I would cut and paste something and suddenly a new thing would come out. Um, but some of the phallic stuff, like when it came to the, the eel, the choice of an eel for uh, Charlie, the perpetrator, um, you know, as a snake, I mean, that's an obvious phallic thing. Um, but uh, I think a lot of it was just unconscious. And I, I really have come to believe that the best art is not consciously formulated. I think it emerges uh, unconsciously. Um, and that's the deepest level, just like dreams, you know, capture, capture it. But, but there was also this magic with Leanne where we would just, things would emerge unexpectedly. So I think there was a parallel process going on, um, in how, how things shaped themselves and in the relational element and uh, self-similar sort of process that was working its way through the through the art yeah well and, I, th I think you're both very brave um to be um looking at this topic and and i think it's just wonderful like that the synergy between the two of you often um creatives you know do prefer to work alone um and um it can be very difficult although i know there's there are a lot of screenwriters that will you know work together and and what the output is is often better than you know the individual now i i was interested in because it's such a difficult subject to talk about and um the the topic of triggering people like what were you thinking about um because i i think it's extremely accessible what you've done um but it's potentially triggering and what was the discussions you had about that aspect of the book? And just sort of qualifying that you make it very clear in, in the beginning of the book and various places uh, that if anything worries you, uh, you know, so, mm, so yeah. just just uh, you may not think to say that, but we, I noticed that we were, you were very careful and cautious and and uh, uh, sensitive to that. But yeah, so that aspect of of how people reading it and also the ages of the people who you expect to be reading yeah. it as well. Clearly, it's for adults. It's not. It's not for children. It's for uh, you know eighteen year olds and and uh, older. But we we included the trigger warning. You know the image that says this thing contains uh, graphic material. Um, interestingly, one of the presentations that Leanne and I did, we forgot to do a trigger warning. Um, in the presentation and we did show the climax of the uh you know because as you saw it's very very graphic uh mm -hmm. the actual climax of of the um event and one of the one of the things we decided to do is by using cartoon like characters in a photographic background you might have noticed that that almost every page has a photographic background mm -hmm. Um, the realism is in the context, but the character is, you know, not quite so realistic. So that's one way we tried to soften um, so that people would not get triggered by having having it be a little more rep representational or a little further or a little more childlike in terms of the look of the characters. Yeah, that's a really interesting way to create some distance. Yeah, yeah, yeah and, it, and it gives it that that um, 
uh, a sense of you have to, you can be the experiencer, mm. but you also need to be the observer as well to 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 give it to give it a, a, a personal sense, as different from just like watching a, a literal movie, uh, you know, film movie, which <laughs> which often is a lot more triggering, um, uh, and they don't have trigger warnings before a lot of movies that they should have. So, uh, uh, Leanne, what what thoughts were you having there as well? Um, yeah, I think that the images are so playful that they sort of reduce the anxiety of the reader and it helps give the reader perspective. And also the images create a sense of companionship. They act almost as a witness, like a traumatized individual who reads the book. Frequently they feel so alone and so marginalized. And when they view the book, the characters almost become their friends and they don't feel so alone. Someone else is going through this also. Mm. And so I think there are a lot of things about the book that reduce the amount of triggering. And, um, you know, there's always that possibility, but hopefully uh, we're hoping that clinicians will use the book too and they could read it with their patient or... And also, um, one of the groups that we led, uh, they said that they were going to use it in a group for men who were trauma victims. They were going to just open it up to a page and just use that as a jumping off point for discussion. And that's another way. So you don't have to use the whole book. You can just take an image and discuss it. So I think, yeah. I was just saying, and it and it's very relevant to say that that this sense of trigger, the 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 uh, the sorts of changes and things that go on, is a part of the of the therapeutic process. That your therapist uh, uh, pays attention to this and makes comment about this, because mm-hmm. there was an interesting experience at the beginning of the of the case study, where there was you know what uh, Pat Ogden would call an enactment, where the therapist actually um uh perhaps not so much made an error but actually uh created a little bit of a an issue and you were very open about that fact that that uh and the therapist were appropriately dealt with it there was lots of good things but was that again um uh, a decision thing was that actually because that was the case uh terry what was going on there oh yes we we definitely wanted to show resistance because when uh, highly traumatized people come into therapy. They often uh, play hide and seek in different ways. Uh, don't want to show it, get triggered. Um, and we really wanted to, uh, we went from starting out thinking we were going to do a fairy tale. It was going to be a fairy tale. And we realized quite uh, quickly that this is too serious a topic to have uh, any sort of it. So there are little tiny fairy tale elements in it that you probably noticed and a little bit of mythic stuff. Um, but then we wanted to very realistically show therapy. And so resistance is a huge part of trauma work most of the time. And for someone who's never revealed um, in a, a case of incest or sexual abuse, it's particularly common. And so we we thought it was important to show that sequence as a way to help prepare people to um, to come into therapy for 
this and to show that it's not easy to talk about it. Yeah, yeah. But, but also, I think what you're talking about, maybe, and this wasn't conscious on our part, but the enactment was that the therapist uh, possibly was almost pushing the dream work on the patient. Yes, that's that part was, where, where the therapist was, yeah. Right, and the patient was resisting, and that's almost like an enactment of the incest uh, because the, the therapist misunderstood that she was ready and she wasn't ready. So um, so then they were able to recover from that. And then my one of my favorite images is, is really a portrayal of sadomasochistic transference where Tony is on the ground almost like an animal and the therapist is holding her on a leash. And that mm. is how some patients feel. They feel totally dominated by the therapist especially if they've had a traumatic background. Yeah, so that, that was that's a, that was a yeah, that was a beautiful visualization of the client's feeling, you know, that yeah, obviously that wasn't what happened in the therapy. Um but right. this, no, this just, yeah, this important message to therapists uh though I, that I really got through of rupture repair of yeah. almost allowing or not allowing but when ruptures occur to take advantage of this as an opportunity, uh, and well, it goes back to the old transference counter transference days. But I think we've moved on from something as as blunt edged as as that description, as to be the natural sort of ruptures that occur in any interpersonal engagement in an intense experience. Uh, so. Yeah, it allowed, I I hope it allows therapists to realize that it's not so much mistakes, but you are going to do things that you're going to have to, um, that you're going to go, oops, and that's fine. Just go and back and un-oops it. And by the way, there was a parallel process with the two of us because we had a few ruptures and we repaired them. So just like Dr. Young and Tony we were doing the same thing because this was an intense experience. We spent a tremendous amount of time together for three years. So, yeah. yeah. Matt, Matt and I do that as well. <laughs> Sorry, Terry. Uh, and how do you repair your options? You were so closely reading each other's faces and body languages and tone and, and all of that. Um, but not only is that um, what you're saying, Richard, I think important to realize that rupture repair is part of it, but the fact that those ruptures could happen means that the couple was working right at the edges of the regulatory boundaries, and yes. that's a place to work. And it's hard to manage that. You can't always, you know, rein it in, and you don't even want to always rein it in. Um, to but uh, so. You know, we we really thought this was a a realistic um, way, and nothing is too precious either, right? It's like, and so it's it's important to be able to back off and um, yeah. yeah. I think the interesting thing is that you know, working at the upper edges of the comfort zone, getting close to the hyperarousal zone, but not yet at it is is really a very good place to be because then you can be the most creative and the most energized. And I think reading this book, this novel by a traumatized person will put them at the upper edges of the comfort zone. Right. And so they're more open and they're able to be more creative and hopefully 
their therapist can help them if they go into a hyper-aroused state. Yeah. Look, I'm I'm really interested to know during this long process of, of writing, did you sort of bounce this off other colleagues? Was there any beta testing along the way or you just kept it to yourselves? Well, we did. did. Yeah. yeah. I sent it out. We sent it out to people here, you know, at different points. Um, yeah, I did. Yeah, yes, yeah. Sir, yeah. A few different points, a few different points, but not in a not in a sort of a step by step fashion. No, no. But not did, did you get an advisory sort of thing? Yeah. No. Did you get anything back that changed your direction or or? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah several things like the fairy tale thing. We right. we um the fairy tale thing. Uh, one of our colleagues said this is too serious a topic and people are going to get angry at it to have it be, to have a, any sort of happy ending or any sort of like final resolution to mm -hmm. it. Um, so that was a big one. Um, didn't somebody else, what was it? What the, the film thing I think was. I think the film thing was confusing to people. Yeah. Mm. Having well, the film inside a book was confusing to me you know what are we watching a book or a film mm, that's interesting you know? of, of of course that's the nature of the of, of the reader of the viewer of of any gallery for me i, I it was great but then uh, terry knows me I, I i involved in a lot of artistic things and matt is too and uh so i just uh um was happy to engage with the artist's expression um, seeking to find uh, that, you know, with with the the frame, uh, and I'm just thinking, Terry. Now, but you had your daughter; uh, she was doing a lot of work. How old? How old is is she? The daughter? Did you have daughters doing things? Yes. Oh, and she actually um, she did a huge amount. She changed our thing completely because we did not realize the important of, importance of context. And she kept emphasizing the reader has to know where these characters are at every minute. And so, um, you know, they were sort of floating in space at, at, a, at various points. Many of the film, many of the uh, early images um, were, were not situated anywhere. And so, um, she became our, our consultant in many ways and also shaved the storyline. I mean, we had so many words to begin with. And yeah. then that, now it's like three words a page or something. I mean, you wouldn't believe how many words we, and then we got into it. We started to like love how many more can we cut out? Yeah, that that, yeah. that I think is a really really important and and one of my favourite parts of it is is that it is in the genre of graphic novel, where there is some dialogue that structures, but fundamentally it's the image that you spend your time in. So uh, uh, so 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 you know I just think it, it's you know hearty congratulations on on achieving that and good on your daughter for for being a what a what a what a great uh, what a great family uh, uh community uh cooperation there yeah. of, of course it could be easily adapted now as a, as a cartoon but uh you know that that would be a, a whole new adventure in 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 doing that i guess 
Well, yeah. sure. If anybody wants to animate it, we're. I think we're. Game. I mean, I think yeah. we'd love to see that if uh, anybody, <laughs> you know, wants yeah. to do it. One of the beautiful things about using imagery and letting the imagery speak are things like, you know, doing the dream and um, and the fantasies, being able to depict the insides of people's head, uh, head um, instead of just talk about the insides, you know, the content of, of mentation. It's it's uh, the freedom is unbelievable. But you I also can... did you also did some psychoeducation uh, as you're going through, yeah. largely mm-hmm. graphically expressed. What was the thinking there, Leanne? Well, we wanted to include some factual information, a little bit of neuroscience, like the window of tolerance, the right and left hemisphere of the brain, which I think is a fantastic drawing because you see inside the head and you can see how the right side is having music and dance and the left side is being very literal and detailed. Uh, We definitely wanted it to be um, educational as well. So we we cr- kind of tried to do everything, like portray the the um, psychotherapy accurately, but add a little bit of fairy tale and archetypal experience and also some uh, neuroscience. Right, right. Tell us a little bit about the, Sorry, uh, Terry. About the feedback. Sorry, Terry. Okay, I was just going to say one of our early formats that we chucked was having uh, like large texts of educational material on the in the margins. We mm. thought would have images in the center, but all of that went away. Picture tells a thousand words. <laughs> it does. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, tell us a little bit about the feedback that you've um, you've you've had from the book. And and the workshops when you when you're oh, yeah. you're presenting it as well. Yeah, well, we've gotten very very good feedback, and um, you know we've we've done a lot of presentations on it, and I think the reception has been very very good. Uh, I think it's really hard to get out the word to a large group of people with anything, uh, but all of the feedback has been excellent. I mean, I think there was one person in maybe a thousand that got was very upset by the topic oh. and she she couldn't look at it well maybe they were going to be upset about anything um and and not saying that there's that's that's a problem i mean there are people that um uh cannot uh manage and actually you cover that in the in, in the graphic novel where uh the central character has trouble getting into getting into getting to a point where she can start Uh, and there's a therapist that helps there's a best friend that helps there's some the dreams that are helping and I think that was to me uh, also a very important thing the the therapist took a moment or two to find the right place to the 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 right tenor the client found the the, the, time to find the the right tenor the girlfriend found a little bit of time to fight the 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 right tenor Uh, because there were a couple of things that the girlfriend said that I thought oh clanger that was a mistake and of course it was it was that's the nature of conversation there's ruptures and repairs and ins and outs and ups and downs in life all the time. Don't forget the perpetrator, Charlie. He also found time, took some time to 
get on board. <laughs> we, that's the thing we're, we're, we're going to come to. Do you want to talk a bit more about, because we did have this beautiful uh, uh, examination of um, what of both sides of the story. And there's actually a frame that says, I want to know Charlie's story. So can you tell us a little bit about the nature of the way? Because is, is the, and I guess this leads to the a question in the middle also is, is this an actual case or, or a, a compilation or is it a purely invention um, uh, for the book? It's, it's uh, purely an invention on the one hand, but uh, both of us have had brother-sister incest cases. Okay. It's certainly an informed one. Um, but it is an invention. An invention. One of the the things that we've discovered is, is very unique about it is the em empathic stance towards the perpetrator. This is not. This doesn't exist. The topic is so taboo that there are these automatic assumptions of you know a monster and horror, horrific. Uh, but we really wanted to be balanced in both sides of, of the thing. And so we thought it was really important to tell the backstory of how um, Charlie sort of lost his, lost it in that moment. Mm. And, right. and, and this goody and baddie type of stereotype uh, is, is, is insufficient. Um, and there's, there's, I mean, you cover. There's a time when he's the baddie. There's a time when, when he's the struggling thing. With a time when he's the wounded, um, uh, the, the the wounded. So, uh, Leanne, in in sort of formulating the character uh, for this, it it's. Um, I mean, I think there are stories where the perpetrator is a monster, and there are terrible, and and we don't want to diminish those sorts of uh, those sorts right. of the narcissist and the psychopath and so on and so forth. Right, right. But, but this is where not, everyone's damaged. Right, he is not a psychopath. He felt tremendous remorse for what he did, and he was ready to. You know, I don't want to give the whole book away, but mm. he he wanted to punish himself for for this for what he mm. did, and he he begs for forgiveness. So this is not a perpetrator that is a cold-blooded sociopath. This is a perpetrator who was really pushed over the edge by, by the abuse that he heard in his home. And he was pushed over the edge to do this. And it did only happen once, which is somewhat of a mitigating factor. It still hurt the Tony tremendously. Mm -hmm. And for years, she couldn't function. So it's not that it didn't hurt her, but... I think once she became stronger, she was then able to see something from his point of view. So here's an interesting thing that has come up for me in teaching when I've uh, talked about and presented this novel to some of my classes. Um, some of the people have talked about having cases of brother-sister incest, where the people are claiming this was not a problem. This was a pleasant experience. There's, you know, there's this should not be under moral condemnation. And I just think the ethical issues around that are fascinating. Like, you know, is it our job to say, yes, it is a huge problem? I mean, maybe sometimes and maybe not sometimes. I mean, I... I can remember a case of mine a long time ago that that I've written about of a young man who 
um, had a, a sort of a sexual addiction really came um, and was continually sort of into the hunt, into the hunt. And then once he got the woman, he was no longer interested. Well, it turned out when he was a very, very young boy, he had a babysitter who um, would have him uh, rock on a rocking horse naked in a very sort of violently, um, you know, rocking way. Um, and he thought this was great when he first came into therapy. But and part of therapy was to say, well, actually, this was sexual abuse. You were abused, and though you felt, you know, you had these very positive feelings about it. So um, and he came to see that and he actually made headway and got married by the end of therapy and, you know, hopefully is still married and considered himself uh, a poster boy for for me um, and and actually had sexual dreams during the therapy with me, which is kind of interesting as part of it. So, um, I, you know, it's I think people are all over the map in terms of. If it's consensual, uh, if it's innocent, if it's, you know, I think there's just a lot of different uh, issues. That yeah. No, I think that's, and Leanne, you were, you were addressing that earlier in the talk today, just saying that, okay, we've got a specific case here. And there, Terry, you've, you've shown one that's quite different, yet there's a lot there, uh, of the frameworks and of the, the the nature of the way you approach it that, that this book gives a therapist and clients an ability to find a contextual framework. I think right. this, is, this is good. Yeah, yeah beautiful. This is for discussing this very difficult topic. Yes, yes, that's exactly what I was going to reiterate. This is this is a this is a great frame. I would encourage therapists um, to and like you said, Leanne, we don't want to give away the whole book. So I'd encourage therapists to um, to seek this out. We'll have links in the show notes um, where they can seek out more information about this. Now, um, before we wrap up, I'd just like to ask both of you: Is there um, some sort of final word you'd like to say about this project? Uh, I think it's a wonderful expression of how art can heal. And I think the art in the book can heal the reader, but creating the art between us also healed the whole trauma of COVID. We didn't feel depressed or isolated at all. And it was a wonderful way to really as we said in a recent talk, chase away the COVID blues. So I think my message is that art can heal. I love that. So I just want to follow up by thanking you both for letting, for, for having us on and for um, allowing your platform to, to present ours because this is such a new thing for us and, we really appreciate the invitation. Oh, it's such a pleasure to talk to Thank both you. you about this. It yeah. is indeed. And and uh, for the listeners who are out there, we're, uh, uh, Leanne and Terry and I are going to have a, a little discussion, a little bit more. We're going to talk about some particular tiles and we're going to put that into the, the uh, uh, Science of Psychotherapy magazine. So uh, if you're a member, and of course you can always access the magazine just at a few dollars uh, cost for, for specific magazines. So we'll do that soon. And I know you guys have agreed to that, so I'm not just bringing it on you. Uh, so uh, for now, though, 
I think we've we've given a, 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 there's so much insight and so much framework there within the context of a podcast. Uh, you have workshops and things. We'll have uh, there there will be links that we will put in the show notes so that people can can come and see where your workshops and uh, and perhaps ask you uh, and invite you to do to do workshops uh and and that's what we hope comes uh one of the things that comes from this podcast so for now we will say uh good day and uh see you again soon thank Thank you so much bye-bye oh that's so interesting that's mm. so interesting, of course, um, and there's so many aspects of uh, of what they were thinking, what they had to do. I love the fact that Terry used her her daughter, so you know, using that because it really is, um, as we were saying, for you need to sort of you need to be eighteen and above to sort of be able to deal with the material, yeah, yeah. Um, in the context. There. But they're using a, a young person and others to come in mm. and say, "Am I getting it? Am I not getting it?" Uh, so yeah. it was pretty cool. Absolutely. So let me remind you again. So the book is The Eel and the Blowfish, a graphic novel of dreams, trauma, and healing. Uh, and it is an adult book. Don't be mistaken by the cartoon look and think that this is a kid's book. This is definitely an adult's book. And uh, we will be doing uh, a bit of an extended piece on this when we'll be able to include, you know, parts of the novel. Uh, Richard, when, when when's that coming out? Oh, yes, no, that's right. Now, that's that's going to be soon. Now, I'm hoping I have it in the March issue, but mm-hmm. I'm wanting to do justice. So if I have to hold it back to April, okay. uh, that'll be just a matter of a, a swap there. But we actually talk about some individual slides and we talk about the process. What was the thinking and uh, what's the benefit uh, and which sides which sides were helped uh, help the, 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 the reader work through the book more successfully? So that's really interesting. I mm. think that's um, so. It's, it's an interview process, and we'll transcribe that. We'll get it all perfect as soon as we can. Fantastic. We'll look out for that. If you're a subscriber, if you're not a subscriber, you can jump across to the scienceofpsychotherapy.net and become part of the tribe. We'd love to have you over there. That's our academy site, and uh, we have uh, a lot of material all the way back from 2013 when we started this adventure. You can get CEU points, uh, or just simply read for for knowledge to improve yourself as a 21st century therapist. And, of course, lots of videos and the combinations of them where we bring in mm. and curate uh, uh, all kinds of material. So come in, go to our search engine, check out the subject that interests you, find something, and there will be heaps of it because uh, there's a lot <laughs> of stuff we have now. And, yeah. uh, uh, and you know, get a certificate. It's quite a lot of them. As I say, we have certificates that you can utilise and take to your association. We get pretty good success with associations accepting our certificates. Yeah, fantastic. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us here on the Science of Psychotherapy podcast, and we'll catch you next time. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Science of Psychotherapy podcast. For more great science, go to thescienceofpsychotherapy.com.